Hello, and welcome to this episode of Watch Out for Fireballs. This episode, like all of our episodes, is brought to you by our patrons. If you head on over to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you can, uh, you can join them. You can join the many, not in a System Shock 2 sort of way, related, kinda, to what we're doing here. Bioshock, but you can join, uh, you can join people, uh, certain people, <clears throat> Such as, and we, we usually do this at the end of the episode, but I'm going to do it right here. Big thanks to Aaron K. Green, Sid Menon, Solomon Stein, Darren Michelson, and Dante. Thank you, guys. Uh, if you would like to be like those folks, head on over to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and check out what we have on offer. Thanks. <laughs> This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And this week we are talking about Minerva's Den, which is a piece of downloadable content for Bioshock 2. And it came out, you know, shortly after the main game in 2010. Indeed. And and I think uh, if we had done record this episode like two years ago, a lot, you know, a lot more people would not actually know what this was. <laughs> um, this was this was this is a this is the lost Bioshock content, I feel like. Yes. Um, I have this note a little bit later on, but, you know, it is the kind of the sole piece of story DLC for an entry in a series that wasn't very popular for the, the yeah. entry was not popular. The series was popular. There we go. And and hidden behind the game for Windows Live. Yes. Nonsense. Yeah. Program that we we all recall the dark days <laughs> of pre pre steam Dark Souls. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that almost stopped you from playing Dark Souls at all. Yeah. It's, it's, consider it's, consider that, Gary. Yeah, and 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 for for everyone, you know, if anybody listened to our Child of Light episode and are, are still sore about how much I hated that game, I went I installed the Ubisoft installer for that. I went through the extra mile. I want some credit yeah. for like installing a weird third party bullshit thing. <laughs> I want I want both computer. a treat and a parade. Yes, I please honor me. <laughs> I, I should like a minor statue for installing the Ubisoft spy onto my computer. Like, um, so. It's, I'm really glad that we're doing this now, though, when some more people have played this. And I hope that, you know, to the degree that this show ever influences people to play things, which is which is some, mm -hmm. um, that this gets people to play this. Yes. Because it's it's a, you know, we, this is not a, a final summation this early on in the episode, but, like, this is really great. Uh, and I'm glad you got a chance to play it, and I want more people to play it. Yes, I'm very happy that I played it. Much like the base game of Bioshock 2, I'm a little bit embarrassed that it took me this long to get to it. I think that my blanket excuse is I knew we were going to eventually do it for the show. We've been talking yeah. about about doing Bioshock 2 since we did Bioshock 1. Yeah. And I knew that this would factor into that somehow. Um, it would be foolish if not. If not for New Waff. 
Good God, what would we have done? I mean, we would have done. We would have just done it anyway. Yeah, we like we would have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been fun. Um, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and for as much as I, you know, really, really enjoy Bioshock too, you know, if somebody is just not willing to swallow that delightful pill, um, what's the opposite of the of a jagged little pill? <laughs> oh, like like an like a, an extremely smooth gel cap, a, a, a very streamlined lozenge, a smoothie little gel cap. Yeah, I yeah. Want you to know you <laughs> did great tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Still like you as friends, you should know. <laughs> um, so, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the nice version of went down on you in a theater. No, no. Um before we went on that. I, actually, well, I, I mean I think the nice version of go down on your theater is still go down on you in a theater. Just yeah, okay. Except with less vitriol. <laughs> you know, like in this, uh, in this just just don't don't weaponize something so beautiful yeah, more set. Naughty instead of mean, right? Yeah. 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 And and I say that's so beautiful. I don't want anyone to think that I'm like a theater fellatio hound of the highest order. <laughs> it's not... That's never happened to me and like I'm pretty okay with it never happening to me. Yeah. I, like for one, like I like movies. <laughs> so I always think like and it's like it's not like I don't you know, I don't like uh, you know, teenage sex, but like and by which I mean the style, not with. Um, but the you know, I like movies, so I'm just I can just imagine that happening where it's like I'm watching something and then, you know, just like, hey, what what about this? And I'm like yeah, but do you think that guy works for Internal Affairs? You know, like I just, like, I bet you, is that the same guy from the background of the the scene in the beginning with the camera? Yeah, I think, you I know, think, like, I think I, he was the guy who was on the phone tipping them yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, I think this guy tipped him off. What do you think is who does he work for? Um, you know, and it just ruining the entire mood of of Alanis Morissette trying to go down on me in a theater. Yeah. yeah. Um. So anyway, all of that aside, uh, Minerva's Den uh, can be a, can be acquired and played without having played uh you know bioshock 2 and so if you cannot bring yourself to play bioshock 2 for any of the aforementioned reasons you know that somebody might be a little bit trepidatious first off shame on you second off no real shame on you play minerva's den anyway yeah this is this is very similar doing this the month after hearts of stone yes as like the the slight you know witcher 3 is obviously a way spicier meatball but bioshock 2 is a slightly spicier meatball than this there is a story like it's almost a one-to-one parallel there is a a proportionately shorter uh story stronger uh experience dlc that suffers a little bit from not having the entire curve of the the main game yes you know so like the, like i think minerva's den is nigh perfect the things that i don't like about it are related to it its function as a, a start over dlc as opposed to an expansion dlc yeah and we'll we'll talk about all that but it's it makes a really interesting point of comparison with hearts of stone which like what 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 praise right like <laughs> like being the hearts of stone of, of bioshock 2 is great yeah i think that that's a fair fair statement um so in this story just uh basics uh you play another alpha series big daddy this one's named sigma and you begin working with tenenbaum you remember her from the first game to recover the code from rapture's central computer yes the thinker the thinker which uh kind of controls all of this automation that you've been seeing throughout the uh, throughout the complex had to we come from somewhere had to happen somewhere makes sense for it to exist I, I love that it, it exists because it feels like that was something that was kind of hand-waved uh -huh. in the main game. And I can imagine – I don't know if this actually happened, but you can almost imagine like Bioshock purists being like, well, they wouldn't have this kind of technology mm -hmm. then. And it's like, no, like you know, the, the, it absolutely follows and the existence of it begs the you – know, 
like that this should exist yeah for rafter to exist like the, mm-hmm. that needs to be coordinated with something because it's so huge yeah so it's a little bit more sci-fi than what we've seen before yes. you know like the, the the subplot of this the pie subplot of this the pie character <laughs> um then in the, the aronofsky version not like the blueberry version um you know that feels a little bit non-biojockey to me yeah you know, but it just ends up making sense, and because of the the aesthetics and how they kind of treat it, and they properly ra- lay rail that it does end up making sense. Yes, I mean this. You know, the in the character of its kind of lead architect, or you know, one of its lead architects, uh, you know, has a provenance, and the reason, and basically the basis for his knowledge, and the reason why he would go and do this is incredibly well justified. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's great. That's a that's one of the big you know. Differences is what we'll talk about in a moment with the, the developers behind this game is I know that is a core value yeah. that they have. And I love seeing it kind of come through this early on. Yes. So the base play here, it's identical to the main game. You know, we're not going to discuss mechanics or generalities here. Um, everything is present, you know, even little sister uh, kind of adoption and harvesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Big sisters show up here. All of that stuff that we talked about in the main episode and praised. If you want to hear about that, go and listen to the first hour of the main part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a couple of new things. Yes, uh, you do get a new weapon and a new plasmid, uh, which we'll talk about when we run into those. Mm-hmm. So, and those do make a difference. It's not. It's not nothing. Right. Uh, that new plasmid, I think, is really fun. <laughs> it's so. It's so goofy. It would break yeah. any other thing it was in. Yes, yeah, it's 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 a silly, uh, you know. For example, prey, uh, you know, because it's um, it's very similar to the standout weapon in prey. Yeah. Um, the uh, the other big changes uh, is you get new some new enemies, and they are elemental versions of enemies. So there are uh, now fire brutes, um, who are function as even more serious mini bosses, mm-hmm. uh, and then frost houdinis who are back from the first game. I, yes. I was reading, I was researching, I'd forgot they're in the first game. Me too. Uh, so they uh, pretend to be statues, uh, but they're actually uh, icy Houdini splicers. Yes. Um, and talking about speaking of those brutes, uh, they throw those things at you like they're nothing. Um, you're pretty, yeah. like, you're pretty much yeah. always like just swatting one of these things off of your dick. The first one of these you fight, I think, is the hardest fight in these like two games, pretty much. Yeah. You know, there, there's a and I don't necessarily know that that's that's great. No. Like as a, as a balance thing. Like that's that's really hard, yeah. um, you know. It makes me wonder if like some of these introduction introduction of like much harder enemies, you know. We talk about the, or when I talk about this being balanced as a start over DLC versus an expansion one. Some of this stuff does feel a little bit balanced for you being a little bit further along, yeah, in a progression mm-hmm. uh, sense to me. Um, and I, I wonder about that. Like that first fight is extremely harsh, and then it just gets so much easier as you go. Yeah. And you can see them like working to address that too, trying to kind of fast track you to being more capable. Like yeah. instead of having power to the people stations kind of peppered throughout, you will just pick up or find upgraded versions of weapons. Yes. Yeah. Which ends up being like, you know, that's that's a good way to do it. But what, what happens is it compresses the entire curve of the game where you're kind of always finding new weapons. Mm-hmm. Too. So it ends up being just kind of a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like I it was an, it was narratively necessary for this to be a brand new character that starts from zero. Uh, I think gameplay wise, having this be something that took place like partway through the DLC, like a soul style thing where it was appended onto the world mm-hmm. would have would have made a little bit more sense. Yes. Yeah, I understand why it didn't happen. Right. Like this is not a serious criticism. It's just a thing I noticed in replaying it was that like this difficulty curve, you know, the, the pacing of getting new upgrades and stuff is, a, is feels a little bit weirdly quick. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty curve is not as smooth as the main game. Yes. 
And that is especially strange when you consider this game's legacy um, and also kind of what it's known for, this expansion's legacy, rather. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think I think it's it's almost like specifically not strange of that because it, it the people who made it. So this is um, where Fulbright yes. came from. And it just I think that the, those kind of, you know, not that those, you know, like disclosure, like I'm friends with those guys. Yeah. Um, but the um, I don't think that they're there. I don't think this is like a weakness or anything. I think it's an, uh, an area where they're not super interested. Yeah. You know, I think I think they were more interested in the level level design uh, and the, the story stuff in this. Mm-hmm. Then, then those kind of those combat balance things. Yeah. So to justify or further explain myself, when I say it kind of runs counter to it, I didn't expect there to be as much combat as there was here, um, and also I didn't expect it to be as difficult as it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So. So. Yeah. Exactly. It. It's. Uh. It runs counter to your preconceived notions, and makes sense though with what they would. Ter- you know, the fact that their first game after this would be combat less. Yes. Like they would. They would abandon. Uh, this is a thing, and when when I when I gripe about this, it is it is a bright light casting a a, a or whatever the uh, the metaphor is. It's a t- tiny 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 problem. Yeah. Uh, in this, it's not a big deal. It did not really interfere with my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It's just something that happened as I was like changing lanes from Bioshock Two, which I still think is the best mechanical Bioshock, mm-hmm. into this, which is the best story Bioshock. Yeah. Um. Thing. Yeah, and you know, especially with the Rapture Bioshocks with Vita Chambers. On the default settings, difficulty in Bioshock never actually amounts to anything hateful. Yeah. You know, dying yeah. just means you're set back for like two minutes until you like gather up the resources that you need to go to go right back to the person who killed you. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is pretty forgiving. Yes. Um, so we also, uh, in addition, just to, to say there's a new uh, weapon uh, that you get or that we talked about that Lancer. There's a new big daddy that uses it as well. Just we'd be remiss to, to mention that. I think we forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Fulbright meeting here. So this is uh, Steve Gaynor was the lead designer uh, on this. Who's And for people who are not familiar, Fulbright is uh, Tacoma and Gone Home. Yes. Um, and many future projects as well. Yeah. Uh, other people also worked on the staff, mm-hmm. uh, including uh, Carla Zamanja. I, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce Carla's last name. Mm-hmm. So if I got that wrong, I apologize. Yes. Carla. And uh, Johanna and Nordhagen. Uh, yes. All three of those people met uh, kind of working on Bioshock 2 and on this project. And that is kind of where they established that they had similar values and wanted to kind of break off and go on their own. Again, for disclosure's sake, you know, Steve's a friend of the network. Barry hangs mm-hmm. out with them. They're both in Portland. Um, and also, you know, Steve has worked with us on charity stuff. So, yeah. you know. He's on an episode of On Fireside Chat as well. Like, he's, uh, you know, he's 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 been around. Yeah. Um. He's he's been around, um, so yeah. Just so you know, and I don't like this because I'm friends with Steve, right. so uh, it just happens to be the case. Um, and I love I loved those games even before I met these guys. Uh, mm-hmm. to, gone home, I loved and I loved playing this and seeing that you can see, you can see the line there. <laughs> you can see the the start of this. Yeah, you can especially see the line from this to Tacoma as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very very similar in, in narrative, you know, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, to Tacoma um or the, the, it does one narrative thing that I think is, is kind of similar <laughs> right um but the uh you know so it's this this idea this focus on environmental and story environmental storytelling yes um and kind of uh lived in real environments yes huge amount of attention to detail uh kind of justifying what objects are there um and why they would be there yeah you know. which which is the you know the hallmark yes uh, yeah. of, of those guys um so this is this is really true where like you you're seeing those guys always have a, a couple things that kind of flow through this. One of the things is their interest in everyday spaces where people live and work and how those can reflect. Yeah. 
uh, on people, like the what they carried, uh, you know, or the, whatever thing, the things they carried, the remains mm-hmm. of the day, that, that kind of. Uh, that kind of philosophy yes uh holds through to this mm-hmm. and even like you can notice this in the level design like you go to an office in this that doesn't feel like it's a video game level like it is not mm-hmm. spacious like it is a a, a a rat's warren of kind of cubicles and storerooms and things like that yes uh and that doesn't mean it doesn't function as a video game level right right like it probably if you were to take it and actually look at the proportions like one of the things that happens in video game Levels is that every house is absurdly spacious because it has to have room for the the character and the camera. Yeah. So you, you know, max is, Yes. Um, so I'm sure that, like, if you were actually to do the proportions and stuff, uh, real-life cubicles would be a little bit more cramped than that. Mm-hmm. But you're so used to a video game kind of uh, approach to it that is spread out and feels fake. Mm-hmm. And what these guys are, you know, close to the best in the biz at, if not the best in the biz, is making spaces function like that but not feel like it mm-hmm. so like every part of this kind of feels like going through a rapture museum you know <laughs> or go doing the the rapture tour that would eventually exist you know if there was such thing as rapture um just to kind of check it out do the the, the personal archaeology that's like what happened here mm-hmm. um and that shit is so rad like yep. that is that's a real big reason why i love video games like yep. it's it's a it's the number one it's the thing that got me into souls like the main 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 hook Right. Like past the combat, past the designs was just like these spaces, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this presence of location Uh, and it feeling like, you know, a thing like it feeling (laughs) like this is, you know, a lot. of And and I I always notice in Souls levels where they don't feel like that. Yes. You know, but this feels like a cool cathedral where like, oh, look at the steps in Orlando. Like Mm -hmm. they're this way because of this. Like that is the thing that got me into that series, which which I dearly love. And it's something that I always notice. Yes. You know, and, and I always appreciate. Yeah um same <laughs> you know yeah. just to take what gary said and speak it aloud in my same in, the, in, in my voice i've loved it prior to this whenever it's shown up you know mm-hmm. like i'm currently you know for the show playing through ultima underworld you can see it there as well like yeah. this is this is a design ethos that the fulbright people uh the minerva's den people grabbed onto and then just kind of cranked up yes you know and you i, I love that um you know that it's in ultima underworld because i mean the the Warren Spector, you know, is, is kind of like a lot of ways like the godfather mm-hmm. of this idea. And, you know, you can see it in Deus Ex as well, even though the resolution is not high enough to have a lot of detail. Like <laughs> you spend a lot of time in office parks and stores yeah. and stuff in that game. And then, you know, then then you 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 find out that Steve, you know, who who was responsible for this. And I don't want to give anyone else on the team short shrift. Right. I just I just know Steve the best. But you find out he's got like an 0451 tattoo. Yes. You know, and it's like, of course, that dude's way into this shit. And mm-hmm. it's just like it feel very simpatico. Yeah, with that guy about uh, you know what the the stuff that he makes and what he appreciates and what I appreciate in games. Yeah. Um. So like the examples here, I'm I'm glad you you pointed out the the, the last one that I definitely uh, noticed where it's like there are vending machines everywhere here, but because these are a bunch of old computer programmers, it's all coffee and snacks. <laughs> in Main Rapture, you know, there's one snack. So like if if you want like an atomic cake or whatever, you have to go down to that one you know that one uh, Persephone's Alley uh, vending machine <laughs> that has atomic cakes because this one only has potted meat. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but here most of the vending machines almost all have different types of food, like a vending machine. Yes, yeah, um, and also like this especially excels when you have the space where a known character has existed, right? You know, there's a there's a character in this. Your kind of main antagonist is this obsessive work workaholic mathematician, 
and you go into his office and it's mostly clean except for this one corner where he has done like all of his obsessive scrawling and stuff and it is just littered with with like pop bottles mm-hmm. you know I, I love stuff like that no yeah. you know just the, the way that a space can reflect uh, a person a character mm-hmm. is just uh it, so important in games and like every time you've ever heard me in a video game talk about how something doesn't feel like a place yeah. this is what i'm bemoaning the lack of mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's just like this just feels like a like a, i'm on a plane <laughs> you know like moving an avatar around as opposed to just something immersive like this does more for immersive than like good graphics does Absolutely. you know and it's, it's it's one of the things too where like uh you know bringing back to souls because there is there are points of comparison right in this aspect which usually when people make souls comparisons it's combat so you'll bear with us making this other one um, it's one of the reasons why, like, as much as I love Bloodborne, I thought the clutter stuff was a little bit silly because they went overdid it so much. <laughs> you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, the way this game does this is it's carefully placed. Like, that office that's mostly clean and has soda bottles in the corner, it's not like there are just literally someone just took the soda brush and just poured <laughs> soda bottles all over the environment like they were tombstones. As many as you, know? you can render. Yeah. Just, like, let's let's crash some system. Let's break some switches, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> you know? um get get as few uh, or as many soda bottles as possible so it just it's just very artfully done and this this is the generation of console where i think had the level of restraint so you don't end up with like arkham knight style clutter fests (laughs) you know and uh you don't end up with deus ex style like sparseness right you know like it's it's you have you have to be careful where you place this stuff but you can place as much of it to make it feel real Mm mm-hmm in a weird way, you hear hear from me first. The PS3 generation is the generation that is the most realistic in console gaming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it is it, it is the generation whose you know limitations, who's kind of you know relatively low ceiling compared to what we have now, enforced a kind of taste or discretion. Yes, that's what I actually mean. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean to like completely no, undercut no, no. your joke there. I just wanted to make sure people knew exactly exactly how that articulated because I think it's a very good point. It just it, it and this is a really great example of it. Yeah, as well. Yeah, so we kind of said this back toward the beginning, but you know, this is DLC for an unpopular entry in its series, so you don't hear about this very much. When you do hear about it, and even when I heard about it at the time, kind of concurrently, you know, it's always been glowing. This has kind of always mm-hmm. been a bit of a selling point for the Bioshock Two base game. You know, yeah. And now recently, you know, with Fulbright, you know, over the past five years or so, becoming the studio, studio that they are becoming you know, for lack of a better word, indie darlings, this is getting retroactive attention. Yes. You know, and, and positive retroactive attention too, which I really like, you know, I haven't heard anyone who's picked this up and not liked it, Mm -hmm. you know, not saying that, you know, it's, it's possible, you know, I'm not like offering to mail a dollar to everyone who doesn't like it or anything, but (laughs) it's a, I, I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about it, Mm -hmm. which is cool to hear because I love it. Um, I'm glad you have this note here, too, because I had remembered this and then forgot it. Uh, you know, so I was like, oh, man, we forgot to bring this up in the main episode. And then I forgot to bring that up until I was reminded here. Yes. Um, it's worth talking just for a second. This isn't quite DLC, but it also functions as kind of an appendix. So I think it's OK to be in this episode rather than the last one. Um, the other piece of DLC for uh, Bioshock 2, or I guess that it was DLC. Never mind. Yeah. Um, is called the Protector Trials. And that is a wave based combat uh, kind of thing. Did you play any of that? I did like one or two to see if there was anything there. Like the premise makes sense. It's justified. And that stands as a bit of a story reason on its own. It shows that Tenenbaum had a reason for kind of abandoning you in the main game mm-hmm. and letting you go yeah. on your thing. Um, but once I discovered that, yeah, it was, it was really just, you know, the Arkham challenge rooms or whatever. Um, I kind of let it be. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not um they're, they're fun. Mm-hmm. It, it but they're not I I played I played a few of them and they're they're fun if you like the the you know those gathering segments in BioShock 2. Like I think BioShock 2 does enough of them. Yeah, I was I was sated. I didn't finish yeah. it like, you know, champing at the bit. Yes. <laughs> Um, the, the, the twist with the protector trials is they limit your output or your, your build. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be pretty interesting. And you, if you do them all, you do get a, uh, a gene tonic for the main game that's called, um, and I think it, or you get it for Minerva's Den called master protector. Hmm. And that's really interesting. Uh, cause most of the gene tonics you get related to harvesting speed it up. Uh, this one slows it down, but gives you more atom. Hmm. So you have to, you have to, you know, hold out for longer, but you get more, but you know, better rewards right. from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, so the, the, the reason, ju- the justification for why you're doing those is that, uh, Tenenbaum has reactivated another, um, Alpha Series Big Daddy and is using it to go and basically harvest as much Adam as possible to deprive it from Sir Sophia Lamb. Yeah. She can stop creating her super soldiers. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably it for generalities. Um, let's, uh, let's get into it. Oh. Um much is that dog in the window <laughs> the one with the waggly tail how much is that dog in the window <laughs> i do hope that dog is for sale i must take a trip to california and leave my poor sweetheart alone if he a dog he won't be let's do it it starts uh in media res <laughs> with a failed attempt to get into minerva's den i like this quite a bit because it's not like oh you're waking up and you need you need to be brought up to speed no like you, you know you hear a voice screaming over the radio subject segment is about to get there we need to detonate the tunnel and we kind of see something that's very similar to the ending of uh of the the base game you know running down this tunnel and then exploding and being deposited on the floor of the sea yeah Yep, yep, yeah. D- does not quite get in. So some time passes, and you you wake up um, here at the bottom of the sea. Uh, luckily, you know, being a big dad, you could survive being exploded <laughs> out of the airlock. And uh, you have the starfish on your face, which is cute and also terrifying. Yep, uh, because they are nightmare nightmare monsters. Yeah, I do not care for starfish. Yep, they cannot be allowed uh, to live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just uh, seeing one move uh, makes me want to die. Um, and as you you kind of get up and start aimlessly walking, uh, you hear from the radio from CM Porter. Uh, radios you. Uh, it turns out he's working with Tenenbaum, and he's gonna. Your your mission is to get the Thinker out of Rapture. Yes, and Porter ends up being kind of your handler throughout this. Yeah, um, kind of com- providing constant guidance, helping reroute you, and give you you know give you your uh, uh, kind of objectives as you go along. Yeah, great, great, uh, great voice acting. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Porter's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. you know he kind of makes up most of the audio dialogue that you get and um, or the most of the uh, most of the audio uh, logs that you get rather yeah. um and he forms kind of the emotional core of the story that's incredibly effective i didn't say that in the generalities uh this got me to this got me to cry so yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really sweet story a thumbs up <laughs> yeah um and it's, it's also and and we'll uh we'll get into this a little bit more in summation i think but um the other thing that i love about uh porter is that he's a good guy uh-huh like um, that, that's pretty rare, right? Mm-hmm. In in Rapture, like in the the series, even with your handlers, like even the good ones, you know, there's a little bit like uh, Tenenbaum has always been is is good and kind of just uh, but just having a you know this many fundamentally decent people 
on the screen at once. Yeah. And, and, uh, and this is pretty rare. And Porter's, you know, backstory and kind of his whole his whole reason for being here calls into question some of my base assumptions about Rapture and the people that, you know, go here. In general, I mm-hmm. think, you know, like, oh, I would never want to live alongside the people who would want to live in Rapture. Um, Porter is here for an understandable reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, you know, not everybody here might be a monster, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some of them might end up being even more than that. Like. You know, not only just not a monster, but also like a really good person. Right. You know, there there are good people here. And the whole kind of what Tenenbaum's doing, like why Tenenbaum wants you is involved in this project uh, to get the thinker out is involved is related to that. Yes. Right. Like the uh, everyone pretty much gave up on every single resident of, of Rapture pretty quick. <laughs> uh, you know, like all, all, all those maniacs are going to tear each other apart down at the bottom of the sea. No one talked about a cure. Nobody. And that, that's a that's a zombie trope. Yeah. You know, like in things like that. And splicers are pretty much zombies. You know, the the idea that, um, you know, maybe there is a cure like we can't give up right away. But I'm glad to see it being addressed mm-hmm. here because it, do- it genuinely did feel like a loose end in the main game. Yeah. You know, all these people have loved ones on the surface who are just going to be like just throw their hands up, you know, <laughs> and, and just like say there's no cure for this this thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there there is somebody who is not willing to give this up as a lost cause. Yes. Even 10 years later, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. So you get in uh, to the den. Uh, you, you know, you start out in this kind of foyer, and your first goal is to get this power relay on. You know, supporter can light the place for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you already, like, in the foyer of this place, I think this is where you see the gigantic statue of the thinker. Yes. Um, it's already starting to kind of lay out kind of the grandiose purpose and function of this place. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, there's also uh, around this is this, uh, um, uh, graffiti when, <laughs> when you kind of, when you, when you hit up in there. So your first thing you have to get into the den, you have to like this, uh, one, one of the things this game does, and it's, you know, it's not really a ding, but you do spend a lot of time just kind of going to do the uplink, yep. you know, open the next door to the next uplink. Mm-hmm. You know, the structure of it's not particularly interesting as far as the tasks. Right. You go through doing... interesting places to get the data. Yes. To get yeah, Exactly. Um, and it's just excuse to get you through the interesting places. Not a real big deal. And they do feel real, you know. So you're, you're getting a power relay. Yes. Uh, just to the lights back on. Um, when you get to this, this receptionist desk, um, you see there's this graffiti all around. <laughs> yes. There's uh, this, you know, crazy person. I don't know what, what the TV tropes where it is for. But all, all you know, no beer and, and no TV <laughs> make Homer go crazy. Right, right. Um, it, is, uh, it, it is the same kind of fluorescent graffiti that is all over the place in DRS there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and emphasis. Somebody is making claim. Yes, uh, they they you know done Minerva's den, but then uh, kind of emphasized mine. Yes, um, and some you know like I said, laying claim here. There is somebody who is incredibly possessive of what ultimately is here, and you know introduced himself right away. Uh, Reed Wall uh, is his yes. name. He's the person who wrote all this, um, and he has um, kind of these delusions of grandeur. And an obsession with the machine, with the thinker, the thing you're here to get, saying the machine has chosen me. Um, and we're kind of set up you know, in the middle of this conflict between, you know, Reed uh, and Porter. You know, both of them used to run this place and Reed pushed Porter out as revealed. Sorry. Whoops. Reed pushed Porter out as revealed by like the two portraits. Reed's is up there, but then Porter's has been X'd over and has traitor written over it. Yes. Yeah. So th- this introduces us to our antagonist, which like the the antagonist here, like I think uh, Reed Wall is cool. 
mm-hmm. uh, in this. It's not the focus. It's not the main cool thing right. about this. It feels a little bit like a feint to me. You know, not not purposely, but just kind of like, uh, oh, this is going to be about when I when I first started playing this, I thought the hook to this because I had heard really good things as well. Um, and this was several years ago uh, when I first played it, uh, that the hook was going to be this this madman. And it's really not. You right. know, it, it's definitely Porter's story. And that's the interesting part is the the humanity angle. Um, we do have this this guy who is is absolutely off his off his rocker uh, here who ends up not being really the focus. Right. He's off his rocker in kind of a shallow way. Like, yes, you know, it's, it, it, it's very pie. Like the, the, the fact that he, his ultimate plan of like getting the machine to predict everything yes. feels very much like the movie pie to me. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much all he will talk about. And, you know, it was the cause of the schism between, um, between Porter and, mm-hmm. and, and himself. Um, and really just kind of, yeah, again, just accounts for every interaction that you have with him. Yeah. Um, you know, the other side of kind of the potential of the thinker is, I, you know, I think, and, you know, kind of the consensus is that's the interesting part. Yes. Yeah. Um, which which we, we find out pretty soon. We get we get an audio log. This is very dense with audio logs yes. of this DLC. Uh, but how that how the, uh, you know, the thinker can do all these things. It, it can do these things. And, and uh, you know, Reed talks, you know, they talk about um it predicting the outcome of baseball games um or you know predicting the stock market uh in rapture um you know similar to the plot of back to the future too you know it's 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 uh, gonna be the thing that allows him that but uh porter has been feeding it these recordings of his dead wife um essentially just trying to, to get that back and and kind of turn it into a person yeah you know um, um and, and we'll, we'll and we'll learn about that at length like this is the the taste of it but we get a lot more kind of backstory on that yeah and and it, and it sets up like you know, not knowing anything, um, the, you know, go, going into it, it kind of sets up that Porter's is the more dangerous one, right? Because coming into this from a background of system shock, coming into it with literally any story about AI, somebody wanting to turn an AI into a person uh, tends to be dangerous. You expect that to factor right and backfire, right? Yeah, if, if you're genre savvy at all. Yes. Like, you know, it is a bad idea to create a, a simulacra of, <laughs> of the dead. Uh, pretty much for any, yeah. any reason. Like, you, you know, there's no, like, like, I'm just imagining the, like, uh, the update where it's like, you know, run pet underscore cemetery dot bat, <laughs> you know, being typed into an old, yeah. old computer or something like that to, to, to bring back your, your, your wife. Right. You know, uh, you know, yeah. M- Mary Shelley kind of, uh, can kind of nail this a hundred years before the story was set, you know? Yeah, <laughs> wife underscore resurrect dot exe. Like, um, yeah, so it could go either way, and you can see the potential for Reed being far more dangerous in the moment, but his desire being more mundane. And and that being, you know, most of the, when these things in this game, uh, and this we don't find this out for a little while, but it just it's important to say now is they're setting up um, a fate. Mm-hmm. For that, like that genre savviness is very intentional because that is a thing that they've done in their later games as well. Um, you know, I, I don't want to do tons of spoilers for Tacoma in this because it's relatively new and I want people to play it. Mm-hmm. But in Gone Home, which is old and everyone should have played, uh, it ha- it dresses up like a horror game and mm-hmm. turns out not to be right. and swerves towards the optimistic. Um, this game does that as well. You think that this person who is doing the Frankenstein story, you know, you're maybe being set up for... Like, oh, the fact that Reed Wall is such a big villain, mm-hmm. um, that's a distract me from Porter, who's going to turn out to be a bad guy. That's a very Bioshock-esque twist, like your handler <laughs> turns out evil. 
Um, he's trying to bring his wife back from the dead through computers, you know, even in even in a like a non Frankenstein way. But there's shades of that. Uh-huh. So I just kept thinking he was going to swerve towards him not being, you know, him being a villain. And it just doesn't. Right. Um, and that is a Fulbright thing is that yeah. they are more optimistic and and are more uh, I feel like that that it is a more optimistic game studio than most. Yes. Um, and that, that's something I really value. And we'll talk about that more during the like, kind of final summations. But yeah. um, this is them uh, swerving away from that, kind of zigging away from that, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that isn't to say that Porter has nothing to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's not simple. <laughs> you know, he's just he's complicated, but he's decent. Yes. You know, as opposed to being a complex villain, <laughs> you know, which is usually what you'd have in this role. Yeah. Feels like. Yeah. Reed, you know, is kind of there just to provide justification for why things are urgent and also to send the enemies at you. His whole deal and what he primarily talks to you about is that the algorithm is predicting everything that you're going to do. So that's how he knows where to set traps. That's how he knows where to send his uh, big daddies and such. Um, And also it also (laughs) leads into why he is so kind of just uh insistent on this because the algorithm only goes up to the point where sigma gets to the core like he knows that yeah. Sigma's going to get to the core and his assumption is there's going to be a calamity a cataclysm when he does this yes yeah he's uh he's he's so uh bought into this predictive kind of text that it's taken away the idea of free will yes in a lot of ways and he doesn't know how to deal with it when there are blank spots in the equation um yeah so uh, you, as you're kind of moving around in the dark here, um, past this giant thinker statue, you go to this power relay. Next to it, there's a dead Lancer Big Daddy with an ion laser. Yes. Which ends up being your, your first non-drill weapon you get here, <laughs> um, uh, which is pretty fun. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. It, it's, it's a laser, you know, but it's very, really satisfying sound, um, does good damage, has uh, cool upgrades. Like the, uh, the incendiary version of it is really the, handy. The thermal ray. <laughs> Yeah, Thermal yeah. Ray. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm hot. I'm Thermal. Everybody loves Thermal yeah. Raymond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah, I'm immolated. <laughs> uh, the, the, the final upgrade feels a, a, a little bit less useful than that. Uh, it's yeah. like, a, like a charge ray kind of thing. Um, I never, I never use that. I, I don't, I don't feel like, um, and this isn't anybody's particular fault. It's just a Bioshock thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel like the shooting is quite good enough to have a charged ray. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, like my aim wasn't good enough and enemies aren't still enough for me to consistently hit them with like, it's the same reason why that, uh, the spear gun doesn't really work out. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, this isn't a game that works well with a sniper type weapon. Yeah, you know, you want to you want to shoot many shots because there's going to be a little bit of adjustment. And I was playing with mouse and keyboard too. It wasn't mm-hmm. a a controller noob kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I was the controller noob playing it. You know, in my in my living room, it was fine. Like it was mostly you know you want to use all the ammo you have because you know it's a game about resources. You know, when it comes mm-hmm. to the shooting, however, like it was mostly useful for enemies that were charging directly at me when I had a uh, you know a lead up time. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a lot more use out of the regular laser and the uh, thermal laser. Yeah. Uh, so the power gets turned back on. Yep. And uh, Porter says, like, hey, head over to my office in the executive wing. Uh, I've got something that you'll need. Yeah. Um, in the executive wing, and this is kind of the, the this is the part that is the cramped offices kind of area. Mm-hmm. We learn that the thinker's real name, the Rapture Operational Data Intraparietal Network, anagrams to Rodan, which is really great. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah, intentional. Yeah. Maybe a maybe a little bit forced. You could you could argue with that. That's good. I also love the idea. Uh, I love that Sigma is named Sigma, and mm-hmm. not only so Wall can say we need to remove Sigma from the equation, but also the idea of Sigma's role in mathematics. Like, oh, that means you need to like add up every you know every iteration of the function as it goes on yes. ends up ends up being very appropriate. So appropriate to what he is. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of clever foreshadowing. Yeah. Going on with this, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this <laughs> brings us to one of the main mechanic, one of the main mechanical parts of this, which is um, good. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Before we we get into where we get to, I, just a real brief word about this executive wing mm-hmm. is uh, when we talk about this being kind of cramped offices. Uh, most of this is optional as well. Yes. Um, the main game doesn't do that so much. They would give you a reason to go into these diverticula. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be a uh, either a corpse. That you have to harvest or something like that. Like there are a lot of little side rooms in this this stretch that are just side rooms. Mm-hmm. Like there's some treasure to get in there, so it's not you're not rewardless. Uh, and they introduced this uh, mechanic of busting open vacuums. <laughs> I love um, that so much. It's like there's cute, there's little cuties, there's Roombas. Yeah. Because of course Rapture would invent the Rapture Roombas. That's the name of their high school football team. <laughs> and the, uh, but you can bust them up. They've they've picked up useful things, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes a little collectible to get all of them. Yeah. Um, so there's some of that in these little side rooms, but there's a huge kind of stretch of this that you just don't need to go into mm-hmm. uh, to the left uh, when you go through this. That's really neat. Yeah. You know, how much of this is optional, I think, is also speaks to that realness of it. Absolutely. And again, we love when substantial stuff is optional because it speaks to confidence on the part of the developer mm-hmm. that you will want to go there, yes. you know, for, and, its, and, for its own sake. And I was drinking up like all of it. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to be like, oh, this is what it was like to work in Rapture, huh? <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and this is great for that. Yeah. Um, and I was definitely like looking for, I wanted to root around in trash bins yeah. uh, to, to see, you know, to see what people threw away. Mostly it was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? It, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and in real life, if you had, had made that discovery, like if you texted me and told me that, <laughs> I would just, I, was, I would think that it was time to, to close up shop, you know, just uh, oh, <laughs> we need to move on to the next venture. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah, Cole just texted me that that when he roots around in trash bins, he mostly finds garbage. And there's two exclamation points. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know? Um, but yeah. since it's a video game, it's it's just cool. It's like seeing a toilet that flushes in a game. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, th- thank you for bringing that up because it's, uh, it's worth saying. Um, primarily what you're doing is you're trying to get the uh, the hack gun, the, the, the hacking tool, so you can um, – you know, again, open the door from the other side through a hole in the wall. Um, eventually, have to do that through uh, through a hole in the floor, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's just you know a way that they bring a puzzle aspect into this. Yeah, like a, a little little twist. Yeah. Um, once you get through there, you head through this boardroom uh, to get to the machine room, and we get to see that Reed has grown uh, grown more and more kind of insane. You know, he's looking for that again, that equation that can predict everything in that pie sense from the thinker. Uh, the fate of the the base uh, alle- allele. Allele, yeah, sorry. I, I, I heard him say it. I don't mm-hmm. even allele uh, to an entire arm of the galaxy. Yeah. So a little ambitious. Yeah, a, <laughs> a little cartoonishly super villainous <laughs> as well, you know, but again, it's a feint. Yes. Yep. Um. So here's here we get a little bit more information about the actual goal here. Porter wants you to go to the core and print out a copy of the thinker's code, basically to get the algorithm so we can escape with it uh, and get to the surface. And we'll learn more about that later. Um, we need the access code that is in his office. An audio log here gives some backstory and again, builds up Porter's basic decency and the reason he's here. 
Yes. Um, we get to see here uh, Porter's wife, Pearl, uh, resented that Porter spent all of this time working with Turing. So we get to, you know, ooh, it's a Forrest Gump kind of thing or a real life person. Yep. Uh, Turing, uh, Turing, Turing to crack the Enigma machine. Um, so when the Blitz started, this is all during, uh, you know, World War, uh, Pearl was almost killed instantly. Yeah. You know, just the, the Blitz started uh, during the war. He was working on doing it. He didn't spend this time mm -hmm. with her. He was trying to end the war and lost that race. Yes. You know, did not was not able to help end the war before she was killed by the Blitz. Yeah. Reduced to nothing but ashes. Yeah. You know, um, and at this time, like Ryan had reached out to him. You know, Ryan mm -hmm. had extended him the Galt's Gulch invitation um, and Porter was resist resistant to that idea. Right. Saying, you know, there's there, there there is a place for me on the surface, but losing somebody so dear to him and someone else's war kind of convinced him that Ryan had a little bit of the right idea. And he kind of kicks himself for not accepting the invitation sooner. Yeah, we we could have been underwater in a uh, coffin city. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and as opposed to being blown up on the surface and that idea for somebody else's war is a rare look at like. Uh, the the more kind of reasonable, more attractive side of of Ryan's offer, right? Right. Like the idea that like you know he he wanted to help end the war, he wanted to work on that work, and and there's implication that like he finds it you know satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the stuff with Turing, but the uh, it still wasn't you know he didn't hate the Germans, like it's still it's one of the 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 edge cases for libertarianism i guess is, <laughs> yeah. is the, the weird way to put it it's like yeah you know that is you know the the not having to fight in a war if you don't want to like that part's attractive i guess yeah in, in the same way that any way you arrive at doveism is attractive yeah ex exactly yeah <laughs> exactly so the um uh yeah so it's pretty interesting and that explains how somebody decent you know because everyone else in rapture is either like drink the kool-aid or they're trying to fleece it yes he's doing neither Right. Um, you know, not to say that his motivations are entirely clear eyed. Right. He is in a deep depression. He is basically never stopped grieving for her, even in the 30 years since this happened. Yeah. And it's, it's really well um, kind of sketched because the way to make a character that never stops grieving is guilt. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, you add guilt to grief, you know, and he, he felt that guilt about not spending more time with her. You know, and, and she literally resented. He knows it was meaningful. It hurt her. Yes. Uh, and that just has to be the case forever is how you make grief last forever. Yes. Yeah, I remember. I can't remember who it was. And this is gonna, you know, isn't going to end up in show notes because I can't even remember. But like some some comic writer, I used to read his blogs and he had a pitch for a Batman, uh, Batman story he wanted to do, which would add this angle to Batman's origin. Hmm. And I always thought that was like a really good idea because as is like, you know, I'm not saying, you know, as an orphan i'm not saying like hey get over it i'm just saying that like you know batman it's been a real long time man yeah you know like at the very least like get some therapy and, and start trying to get over it you know but if you added some guilt to it like if he you know you know let's we have to go through the alley i love alley <laughs> take me to crime alley daddy you know if he, if he had done something like that then it would make sense for him to be carrying this for quite this long yes you know guilt guilt is the grief extender mm -hmm. it turns it into a perpetual bad decision machine Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, Reed knows you're here <laughs> when you get here. Yeah. And so he okay. decides to send a brute after you. I forget. Is this the first fire brute that they, that, oh, yeah. that he does? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is extremely hard. <laughs> Even uh -huh. with Porter's assistance, like Porter decides to activate the security oh, system. This is not the first one. You fight another one earlier on. Ah, shit. Uh, okay. And that's the one that's like really, really hard. This one with the security help is not actually that bad. Okay. But they, they introduce a fire brute um, much earlier on, actually. Yeah. It might be right when you get the ion laser. Maybe. 
Yeah, it, like it, it's very early on. Here, this is not so bad because Porter acu- activates his cool uh, Professor X style like <laughs> machine gun, you know, turret things like, you know, activates the defenses in the office yes. to help you fight. so yeah uh, this one's a little bit easier to you know to deal with but you know you're going to be fighting many more brutes on top of many other kinds of enemies later on Mm -hmm. and throughout the entire thing um the path to operations you know to get where you need to go is actually blocked by this new thing this magnetic lock um and the way to uh, deactivate it is to literally unplug it you need a special plasmid a new plasmid uh called the gravity well uh, to unlock it from the other side, you need to huck it over uh, <laughs> through the window at the top uh, in order to deactivate it. So you have to go um, over to McClendon. <laughs> you have to you have to go to the archives, but the archives are locked. You need the shock plasmid, so you need to go to McClendon Robotics. It's a little bit of a for one of a nail thing. Yeah, yeah, the, and again, like the going through interesting spaces for not particularly interesting reasons. Yes, in this, you know, like there's a lot of going and getting the keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so this is uh, the, this archive, these archives. I think we've seen these before, the airtight archives uh, things. When, when you you eventually uh, head over there, the archive we find out the archive workers uh, were there who were shocked that Ryan would institute these searches mm-hmm. of these pneumatic faces, safes that they have. Yeah, um, and he's trying to find subversives again, just kind of underlying some of that uh, Andrew Ryan hypocrisy, yeah, the base hypocrisy, and you know the fact yeah. that he created Fontaine, he created the place for Fontaine to spring up, and immediately forfeited every one of his supposed values. Uh, yes. To stop his own undoing at his own yeah. hands, you know the t- tale is old as time. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm heading over to uh, McClendon Robotics, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to McClendon Robotics first. I got this mixed up a little bit in order. I love McClendon Robotics, man. Yeah, this is really neat <laughs> because it's a, like like it's laid out like a like, you know like, like like you would imagine it would be like there's a there's a a showroom at the front that like is mm-hmm. like stage managed. Yeah, well, and it's also it's also a horror. Mm-hmm. themed like area kind of uh, which right. is something that hasn't been really emphasized since bioshock one right um there's no we, you know, we talked about that in the bioshock one episode there are no parts of bioshock two that are particularly scary um but this is pretty spooky mm-hmm. uh because you're going through a robot workshop anytime <laughs> that happens like i think that's pretty spooky yep and uh there's a there's a real good jump scare <laughs> that happens in this as you're crawling through a uh not, not quite a vent uh but crawling through a a, a, a hole in the wall and they put one of these uh, robotic little sisters <laughs> staring at you right as you – your vision, you regain your vision. It's so good. Um, that that specific jump scare, I didn't know this until I was doing research for this. And I, I talked about it in the last episode. I, I wanted to get a chance to talk to Steve and Carla about this uh, before we record the appendix. Um, but I didn't know that Steve, uh, his first level design thing was working on Fear Perseus Mandate. Yes. And this is a fear jump scare to me, (laughs) like this kind of like going through uh, that happens all the time in fear one where you're like, or not all the time, but it's a famous jump scare in fear one where you you get to the top of a ladder. And then Samara's right there. Yeah, Samara's right there. Like the idea of like going through a place with occluded vision. And then as soon as you turn the corner to see Mm -hmm. there's there's a a little girl right in front of you (laughs) feels like a fear thing. I wonder if this is on loan from the fear collection. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Could, um, could could be the case uh, for as much as we make fun of the name of the Perseus mandate. Uh, I hear that that is actually a good piece of a uh, good piece of content. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. I, I, have, I have no idea. I've only played the played fear one. Yeah. At some point we'll dip into the fear series for the show. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it's an interesting, I thought you played you know, like the, like the co-op one. Oh, you're right. I played three. Yeah. I played one and three. Okay. Yeah. So I guess there's only one fear I haven't played <laughs> um, two. Cause there's fear for the weird, like shitty online online one. Yeah. Um, but this, these, uh, this little robotic little sister here, I love this from a world building kind of thing because these things are really unsettling and they didn't work. 
Like yeah. they tried to make robotic versions of them because it's, of course you would before yeah. the, you <laughs> before, don't, you, before don't you start zero, kidnapping people. Yeah. But you don't go from zero to like kidnapping genetic engineering, you yeah. know? So I, I love this idea that, again, that like not everybody is an insane supervillain. Uh huh. You know, they tried this other way. Unfortunately, it's just the big daddies ignored them. Right, right. And regardless, you would need, you know, these things would need protection if they were not able to protect themselves. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so the big daddies wouldn't do it. So these things wouldn't wouldn't quite work. Mm-hmm. They would just be essentially those vacuums if they, they were deployed. <laughs> right. You know, uh, and you would go around and crack them open for turtle treasures. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's what I call when I when I'm looking for something that might, that went missing when I open up my Roomba to see if there's like a screw or a, a wire or treasure. something. Yeah, I'm looking looking for turtle treasures. See, um, we just started in our tabletop group. We just uh, Levi's running a Dark Souls inspired game. Okay, and my my character washed up on the the beach of like you know the Isle of Judgment, the mm-hmm. the equivalent of the Undead Asylum in this in this thing. And I had a turtle treasure in my stomach. Oh, nice! I, I had to dig it out in a, a real tormenty way. It was fun, <laughs> but I was, I was full of a knife. <laughs> So, yeah. You were knifeful. Yeah, I was. I had taken a big old bite. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, great from a world building standpoint that there was an attempt to do something less horrific that ultimately ended up being ineffective. Um, but yeah, uh, like we said, it's mostly mostly short, uh, showrooms. Uh, eventually, somewhere around here, you find um, an audio log that again speaks volumes about Porter. We haven't mentioned this so far, but Porter is a black man. A person mm-hmm. of color and this is kind of the most angry that we get him uh because somebody asked him you know a business type asked him why he didn't splice white um like some other people did in order in order to get ahead and porter took great exception he said you know that runs counter to the entire reason we're here you know i yeah. I, I, I am here and i i'm going to i'm going to succeed on my merits because i don't have to splice white to make it i've already made it god damn it yeah yeah turing you heard of him? <laughs> I, I was his buddy. The um, this is a, a real clever piece of, of world building too, because it doesn't uh, you know, it doesn't quite this this Bioshock came out before um, I was gonna say before representation. That's not the case. Before <laughs> we before we were paying as much attention to it, right? Right. There aren't black splicers mm-hmm. uh, in the game, um, you know, and uh, you know, I don't. I'm not here to litigate that, but I do think think this is a clever piece of writing that kind of retroactively explains something. Mm-hmm. You know that like, uh, you know, I'm sure this isn't intentional and this isn't canon, but in my mind, like maybe there were, but everyone is using this genetic engineering because of racism. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're, they're using this genetic engineering to to remove this this thing that is a stigma, um, and definitely would have been on the surface as well. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, um, you know, and that's the reason why we don't have. I don't think that is the reason. Yeah, why there aren't black splicers. I think it's just because again, you know, it was before. People paid quite as much attention to representation yeah. as they do now. Yeah. But th- this actually kind of contains it in an in, in-universe explanation. I think it's very clever. Yeah. And it also kind of broadens um, the more sinister purpose of the plasmids. You know, by the time we get here, things are in such crisis that we only see kind of the combat purpose of, yes. of the plasmids, right? You are splicing up in order to make yourself, you know, better at finding more atom, right? Um, but so much else was brought down from the surface to here that, of course, the ability to rewrite yourself, the ability to, you know, <laughs> you know, basically reprogram the entire human genome would be used, you know, for eugenics, for like the plain old mundane form of eugenics that, you know, America pioneered and we always had. Right. Yeah. So like this is reasonable and makes sense. Yes. Weekday eugenics. Um, the- and so, you know, like that, 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 that makes a great deal of sense. 
it's a, it's a much more sinister extension of the uh, the audio log we praised from the last episode of the uh, the wife who's talking about her husband who instead of getting in shape just uses sports boost. Yes, you know, as as just kind of a a, a cosmetic thing. Not you know, not equating being out of shape with being black, of course. Right. I'm saying that it is a uh, you know that kind of non combat kind of insidious yes. thing. Like it's a little bit dark to ignore your health in in favor of this easy solution. It's a lot more uh kind of unsavory mm-hmm. to do do something like this. Yeah. And again, it speaks to the kind of the hypocrisy of this place in general because Porter is right. You know, yeah. based on the text and based on the propaganda, uh there should be no pressure to do what people are pressuring him to do to get ahead. But yeah. it still exists and it's there. He, he is a he is a principled, decent man. Yes. Um, we get gravity well and what gravity well does is you th- it's it's one of the uh the spongy pustule uh <laughs> brand of of uh plasmids and it gives you a, a black veiny pustule to uh throw and then this creates a gravity well it uh <laughs> sucks everything into it um items enemies and such um and does damage to them while it's happening yeah um and it uh it eventually upgrades to uh cover them with acid uh-huh. and then becomes a real game breaker um this this is this is a ridiculously good because you can still shoot things while this is happening mm-hmm. um or chainsaw them this became my my big daddy and uh, uh brute killer easily yes um, it's a little bit like the cyclone trap which is still here it's just kind of like an updated more chaotic version of that it it uh, and holds for a little bit longer too, yeah, yeah. and hold it doesn't move them like they just stay right still. So you can just unload a clip. Mm-hmm. You know th- this will pretty much kill everything. Uh, <laughs> and it, it also you know and it has kind of the visuals again of that of of the uh, the grenade the junk grenades and prey. Yes, um, it doesn't spit everything out into a bunch of attractive cubes, but like it it <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> Is it about my cube? <laughs> <laughs> my, my son has been crushed into a cube. <laughs> Please go pick up my son. He's now organic material. Um, the, uh, <laughs> this rubber band ball used to be named Jimmy. <laughs> um, everyone should play Prey. Uh, the the uh, but it's uh, it's very similar kind of visually. Yes, very powerful. Um, I was very reticent to use this in areas that I hadn't explored yet. You know, mm. like <laughs> if um if I was just going into a place and there was a combat encounter, like I would want to keep the con- I would lo- want to keep the area as still as possible and only like use a it police in places. Team. What's that? Like a police team, like forensics. A little bit, yeah, because I like I don't, I don't want to like yank something off of a shelf because I might be able to learn something about why that was on that shelf. Yeah. You know, I don't want to fuck this place up, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should talk, we can talk about our build just a little bit. Uh, I I chose this opportunity to basically use plasmids I never really relied on before. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Gary, I take back all the shit I talked about insect swarm last episode. Oh, you're into the bees now. Ooh, yeah. I I am 100 percent all about the bees. All about yeah. that bees, about that <laughs> yeah. bees, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the knees bees, yeah. But I, uh, I, I did, uh, I did, I did basically insect swarm, gravity well, and hypnotize for the entire for the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, uh, I ended up using a lot of gravity well mm-hmm. in this and tried to not. Uh, my big thing as far as changing was not to do as much melee. Yeah, you know, um. The uh, but I, I and use a lot of gravity well, but I didn't change it too much. I still I ended up using a little bit of bees last time. Mm-hmm. I'll use a little bit of bees this time, <laughs> but uh, just just a couple of bees. Uh, and then but mostly did uh, gravity well, the laser, you know, more weapons. Yeah, yeah. You know, less uh, less drill. Yeah, yeah. And just like the base game, if you do all of the little sister related content, you will have more atom than you know what to do with it. It will be dripping from your eyes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, so you get the gravity well. You throw that pustule over the over the transom, uh, unplug the matic lock, and you go down to operations. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's really satisfying when the, it unplugs the lock as well. There's <laughs> there's a nice little action to that. Yeah. Um, we get down to operations. Reed calls over the radio and says, uh, you know, starts trying to place the seed of doubt in your mind. Yeah. Like, you know, he's why? What is Porter? What is Porter to you? Why would you work with him? Um, and kind of starts that, you know, kind of spends part of this chapter talking shit, you know, about Porter, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Um, which would just ends up being an irony later yeah. about, uh, you know, specifically talking about how Porter never had his priorities right. And why yes. do you why do you basically spit in the face of God or at least God's equation? Right. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the first area of this is kind of a side path. Uh, basically, you're trying to secure your escape plan. Uh, this is where we learn that this is taking place during Lamb's reign a little bit. It's mostly at the tail end. Um, what you need to do, you need to go to this machine graveyard to get a signal beacon from a bathosphere so you can reprogram it. Lamb has the entire place locked down with seeking torpedoes. Um, and this signal beacon will allow you to kind of camouflage yourself. Yes. Yeah. So you're already kind of you're, you're getting your escape plan set up. Yes. You know, um, on your way out uh, to this airlock, because there are still the kind of these underwater sequences mm -hmm. uh, in this one, um, you pass this uh, you pass a splicer, a little set piece thing where he's <laughs> trying to use this door control uh, module in this room that's flooded. Yep. Um, and he is part of the circuit that's keeping the door closed. Like he's being electrocuted forever. It's like Ignis in the uh, the Burning Man bar in Torment. He has opened up the elemental plane electricity and is continuously a conduit. Yeah. So I mean, this is a little bit like the uh, um, like the magnetic lock thing. You know, I ended up mm -hmm. using the gravity well to yank him out, so I could you know break the circuit and open the door out. Yeah, and I don't think you have to use the gravity well for it. No, you can just I shoot him. You can shoot them. You could you could do a lot of things, but yeah, it's a the gravity well is a is a great all purpose key, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So the graveyard itself is very visually stunning. Like you go out here on the sea, you're on the seafloor. The seafloor areas are generally impressive anyway. But here mm -hmm. again, world building. What happens to sections of rapture or the failed machinery or things like they're not going to work very hard to repurpose it. We have all the space outside. Why don't we just like drop it, <laughs> drop it in a place where nobody, nobody's going to go. And so you are in just these dead cast off portions of Rapture itself. Really, really neat. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there's no combat in any of these parts, of course. Yes. Um, it's, it's just a little tour mm -hmm. of this thing, like quiet moment. Um, you can find this bathosphere. It's fairly easy. Uh, once you get it, you need to reprogram it. So you need to actually get into Reed Wall's office. Yeah. Uh, so you so you head uh, head back in, yeah. Um, and we're kind of glossing over some of the specific story beats of the um, of the of the audio logs that you're finding. It is in this area, and maybe a little bit before, where you start learning about specific ways that Porter has been trying to humanize the thinker, uh, and by he's doing this by feeding it a corpus of data. That data is recordings he and Pearl, his wife, made together. Yes. Uh, so you end up hearing these recordings as well. You're not just hearing, you know, his attempts to do it. You're hearing the actual recording he's feeding into the thinker. So you're getting these little windows into the relationship. Yeah. Uh, which is, it feels like sweet and loving and lived in, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. And also, you know, it is a second order recording. You're not finding them yourselves. So like in the back of my mind, whenever you, whenever you 
you know, hear these, you hear Porter queuing it up or, you know, the thinker asking for more. And you just picture Porter sitting there listening to this as it goes on, feeling more and more despair. And right. th that actually happens. They're part, you know, they're, they're ones that end with him turning it off in disgust. Yes. You know, he can't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I uh, don't think that we didn't notice those or, you know, or kind of see the case or the evidence building up. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you get into data processing, when you head back in, uh, you get to have your little game within a game. Uh, and this, this shows up in, in, you know, in, in all of the, the, the Fulbright things. This is the beginning of Spitfire. Yeah. Um, which doesn't end up being playable in all of them. Right. Uh, but it ends up being, you know, showing up yeah. in all of them. Um, I think chronologically this would be the first video game or one of them anyway. It's just these, you know, these data, these data programming guys, uh, figured out that oh we can we can use zeros and x's to represent uh you know basically planes in world war ii that's why it's called spitfire um of course wall thinks it's a waste of time why would you use our cycles on this but they make a point you know one of them says ain't it better to change what's on the screen than just stare at it yeah yeah it's, it's and a it, love it is, to it video is, games <laughs> it is it is the uh you know this is the idea like the, there are parts of this the the audio logs here that echo the kind of beginning of video games yes like i think that, that is this is implied mm -hmm. um as such yeah. um you also get this little story of this uh this coder who was uh is resentful that another one took all the credit for his work so he put the key to his office in the vending machine <laughs> which is a real classic prank he's the real jim uh jim halpert <laughs> of rapture <laughs> Like he, the, he, uh, he, it was originally in jello in the vending machine but the jello was being rotted away yeah the jello the jello is long since desiccated <laughs> um, repowderfied yeah it's, it's it's collected at the bottom of the, the thing it, there's such attention to the detail of the environmental storytelling i bet you that if we open up that vending machine and looked at that item uh -huh. there'd be some dust on the bottom of it from oh from desiccated desiccated jello yeah lime yeah <laughs> there's a sad detail though you find uh you find that coder's dead cat loveless named after ada loveless yeah yeah, the cats didn't work. You know, probably didn't end super well in, in Rapture. No. Rapture wasn't great for cats. Lots of fish, though. Yeah, boy, I guess that's the that's the upside to being a cat in Rapture. <laughs> like, is like my cat can look out the window and like maybe he sees a bird, right? But if my cat cat could look out the window and see a whale, what a what a big fish! <laughs> like, I think I think Rose would love that. Like, I, I think that that's like you know, if you're a cat in Rapture, that's gotta be a new expression. Like, <laughs> if you're in a cat in Rapture, yeah, it's like being a pig and shit. Yeah, yeah, pigs garbage animal ruts around and shit cats yeah. a holy animal literally rapture literally a word <laughs> for the holy uh you know it makes sense yeah um and director tweets about how smart pigs are to gary yeah please i i, I love i love being told uh, how smart and how unsmart various animals are <laughs> it's, his, so. it's his favorite thing yeah <laughs> so <laughs> um regardless you go through the coding area uh, and you get to reed's office which is you know a, a stately mess is the way that i the way that i conceive of it because like part of it is you know he's got this big big desk this big screen you know uh however he's got this he's got this library and everything else is just kind of again covered with this fluorescent uh you know graffiti basically it's him using every surface beautiful mind style to uh to work out his ideas yeah yeah, which is always, you know, I, I like that trope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and one of the things he's done uh, in this this is that he's gone crazy partly because he's been using brain booster mods <laughs> and and abusing them. Never a good so idea. It, yeah, never, never use brain booster. 
Um, another, you know, like sports boost, like another one of those insidious parts of this, yeah. this thing. He was already pretty smart and he probably already had, you know, a basis of paranoia at this. And that just yes. made him more him, you know? Yes. Um, we also find out that his, he, he knows his memory, you know, this atom that he's taking is kind of fucking with his memory. Mm -hmm. So he makes a note, um, that gives you kind of the, the code to his, uh, his storage room, mm -hmm. um, through these books. He's like, just look at the bookshelf. Um, you head over to the bookshelf and the groups of books are in, you know, there's two books, then three books. It's not numbers on the spines. Yeah. It's the number of books on the shelf. Yeah. And if this was made five years later, these books would be arranged in a loss edit. And, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's probably not, 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 not these yeah. guys. It's just that that's what I, that's what I saw when I saw a group of four things. So it, it just, it, it took me a second. Yeah. The, uh, I'm trying, and I'm also trying to think of how that almost works for a loss edit because <laughs> the first one could be the value of Tim Buckley can be two. <laughs> and then the second one is Tim plus one other person, the receptionist. Uh huh. So two yep. plus it's one. A, yep. It's, it's, it's one, 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 two, two. And then yeah. two, but one yeah. of them's down. Yeah. Yeah. Almost would work. Yeah. So, so. one, two, two, two. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness for loss. <laughs> um, um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, but, this, this, this gets you into his storage room, which has the the, the reprogrammable thing to reprogram your beacon. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's you know secures your way out. I think by the time you're done with this, lamb has been taken care of. You know. So yeah, yeah. Um, and and she doesn't. She's not really a, a purpose, like a, a presence in this either. Right. Like even though those missiles that you're trying to circumvent, those could be automated as well. Yeah. You know? um, specifically, like you find an audio log that says, you know, Minerva's den. Specifically, Reed and Porter completely rejected that nonsense. They, yeah. They 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 didn't want any part of Lamb or her philosophy. And so when this when this revolution happened. Um, everything kind of locked down, even though Lamb was desperate to get in here and use uh, the thinker for her own purposes, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would, which would, you know, obviously make a lot of sense. And I'm glad we didn't, like, kind of relitigate that, just, you know, that conflict. Yes. You know, that this just kind of takes place to the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we get more detail. Tenenbaum is the one who enlisted Sigma, you know, to help her and Porter. You know, Porter is secure transport, and one of, you know, Tenenbaum's goals, she wants to get to the surface with the code from the thinker because she needs to research her cure for atom sickness. Basically, this addiction and dependence, you know, unto splicerdom that is, you know, scourge the entire, you know, all of Rapture. Yes. Yeah. And again, I love that, you know, not giving up mm -hmm. all these people. Um, you know, right around here, somewhere in here, we learn more about this this schism between Porter and Wall. Uh, kind of what they want to do. Wall wanted sole control over the thinker. Uh, so he forged this evidence that Porter was subversive to get him taken to jail. Um, and there, we've gotten some other tips or hints about that before. Um, some things of Ryan just kind of being upset that Porter's not falling into the line. Right. You know, um, and, and their disagreements, like we get to hear their kind of verbal sparring. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And Ryan's, you know, suspicion that, <laughs> basically any any element of rapture that is not specifically pledging fealty to him will be you know with fontaine they're already yes. close enough to fontaine because of their general industry right yes yeah they're adjacent they're fontaine futuristics adjacent yes yeah uh, we also get some more details about porter and his wife around here yeah you know uh we learn kind of how they met uh, again, by 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 hearing these second order recordings, and learn that he is working on and successfully testing this kind of personality replication protocol, using again this corpus of data to teach the thinker to mimic 
actual people. Yeah, to to be his wife. Yes. Um, so he's started hanging for the core, uh, and Reed pretty much flips the table. You know, like if I can't have this, no one can. Mm-hmm. Um, overlords overloads uh, this coolant system. Also, and it, overlords it. Happens, it. <laughs> he overlords uh, the coolant system. It happens right as you're there. You get to see this thing freeze over. <laughs> you know, it it just freezes you out. So you need to get incinerate. Um, so you have to go to the engine room to grab that. Yes. Again, just kind of going through an interesting space for just kind of a, a plot coupony kind of reason. Yeah. Uh, which you use to open up the uh, the you know the, the way to turbine control, um, which is one of the most heavily guarded area. This is where you start getting introduced to the uh, um, the wintry Houdinis. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Again, that's a horror element. I love you know basically go, going all the way back to Condemned. I love when enemies pretend to be mannequins. Yeah, 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 and it just trains you to shoot every statue. Oh, yeah, you know, but it, it, the first time it happens is a great jump scare, <laughs> and uh, they're interesting, you know, fights like putting them into the mix. Yeah, with this, which is kind of interesting, and they start hiding them uh, in weird ways. There are a couple statue fake outs. Yep, that, that are really good. Like uh, you know, a statue will be in kind of a jump scare reveal kind of place. Like you'll turn a corner and one will be there, and have it not be <laughs> a hoodie, but you unload a clip in it anyway because you're spooked. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, the, a lot of this, uh, he's kind of throwing everything at you at this point, Reed. So you're getting, doing a lot of kind of wave based, you know, fighting off waves of enemies. Yes. Through the zone. This is the most combat heavy zone. Yeah. As you, as you get to, you know, the turbine controls where you actually find the audio log of the transmission you heard at the beginning of the game. Yes. Where he blew the tunnel where you're trying to get in before. Yeah. Um, yeah. and really Reed just cannot understand why you're doing what you are doing. Yeah. And he's working very hard to figure it out because his algorithm cannot tell you that. He can, yes. his, his algorithm can say where you're going, but not where you have been. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, um, you know, a similar thing kind of happens again. He blows another tunnel leading to this core, which means you have to go around, use these vents to kind of get around and move further. Yep. Taking us to the third level of this, um, the final one, the thinker. That you're in my arms, though I know you're so far away, making believe I'm talking to you. Wish you could hear the actual thinker. Um, so you head through these vents, finally some vent crawling, uh, <laughs> to get to a portion of this core where it's uh, obvious Reed was kind of working to figure out why Sigma is doing what he's doing. You can see he's he's actually doing equations that have you. No. on the on the ground mm-hmm. you know like or have it have your name as part of the uh, the equation written on the ground yes so <laughs> equations where he has you on the ground <laughs> you know it's it's not it's not reed's brand new single solve for fuck <laughs> that he's uh he's releasing on victrola <laughs> but he uh it, it's i just mean that he writes on the ground and uh-huh. he has your name <laughs> so, so racy yeah <laughs> but anything you know. goes in rapture yeah, you have the freedom to. Yeah. The man in government says that I can't write about <laughs> pussy knocking hoes who, who, who do. I don't actually think that means anything. <laughs> I was just trying to be vulgar, and that's the first thing I reach for. So I don't know. <laughs> pussy knockers. Yeah. Ooh, well. <laughs> Finally, they put all the private parts of one. <laughs> Into one convenient package. Yeah, um, I can I can send you a couple of links that exist. Um, 
<laughs> but but uh, no, you find an audio log here from Porter himself, kind of shortly before he was carted away, um, talking to the thinker and basically saying, "Hey, you know your 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 final your final order here is to figure out a way to rescue yourself." Yeah, which which is you know it's not your first hint. There are many hints leading up to this. Yes. But one of your first hints about the big kind of twist, <laughs> one of your, your most obvious ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, a big one here, and this is where I started thinking, ah, okay, so that's what's going on, uh, was Reed reaches out and says, like, he has obviously figured this out, saying, like, okay, if Porter was sent to Persephone, nobody just walks out of there, right? If you do walk out of there, you're not yourself, right? How is Porter here and how is Porter talking to you? Yeah. Yep, yep. Which which is great. Like this this part is actually really well handled. This kind of <laughs> creeping dread, you know. They they did this in the. Uh, there isn't a scene like this in the second Bioshock. In the first one, the leading up to the famous "Would you kindly," mm-hmm. you know, you have you go through the room, you know, with all the pictures of yourself. You know, they they do that as a kind of a, a slow creeping thing. And we're in that that portion of the story right now. Yes. Uh, except it's extended. It goes on for a while. <laughs> um, very very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. you get to the thinker itself you know, trying to print out the source code, but Reed decides to go nuclear. He shuts down, you know, the, the, the mainframe, essentially, putting the entire den in jeopardy. Tenenbaum reaches out and says, like, hey, you're gonna... <laughs> that, that's also notable, actually. It's not Porter who says you need to take care of this when when the thinker yeah. shut down Tenenbaum, saying, no, you, like, you desperately need to get that thing back on, A, so you can print it out, but B, like, this place is going to self-destruct because the thinker is the only thing that is keeping it, you know, together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this and this is our our boss fight kind of climax here, um, where Reed pops out and a bunch of big daddies pop out, uh, and you have to fight a large wave of enemies, yeah. uh, especially Reed, in order to get his admin key. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot special to Reed as a boss fight. You know, he doesn't go Super Saiyan or anything like that, like Bioshock <laughs> One. You just fight him. Yeah, yeah. The bigger um, deal is all of the lancers that he's surrounded with. Like, yeah, that hit scan fire hose of damage ends up being a little bit a uh, little bit tricky to deal with it's like upgraded gravity well man <laughs> like you just you start tossing gravity wells and it just does it <laughs> you know you put some of those traps and it just takes care of it yeah like uh yeah, very powerful um so you fight all of them to get that uh you eventually get that admin key right there and, and now we are like fully in the denouement right yeah this is where we start getting our reveals and this is so good like I yeah, knew, it's super you know, cool. I knew based on the pedigree, not just of this series, but of the developer, that there was going to be something that was going to hit harder than I expected it to, and also, you know, take the pieces that were already in play and then recontextualize them. Right. Yes. So I walked into it with a sneaking suspicion about what was happening. You know, even though I kind of knew, it still hit hard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a. It's a. It's a really well done kind of series of, of twists and articulation. So one of the things you have to do here, and they mentioned this earlier, is that you have to run this genetic scanner uh, to get this thing to work at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what you're trying to do in the first place. You finally get a chance to do it with this uh, this plot coupon that you get from from Reed, um, where they scan you. It says, uh, Subject Sigma, former identity, CM Porter. Um, so Reed was right. Like, you couldn't have gotten out. You didn't get out sane. You, nope. got, it, you got turned into uh, a big daddy. Right. And sent out. So this whole time, you have been Porter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unable to talk. Um, unaware of who you were, you know, because mm-hmm. of Big Daddy brainwashing. Being used, you know, in the strictest sense of the term, by Tenenbaum and by, well, who is this actual Porter? Tenenbaum reaches out and says, hey, this is all part of the plan. 
the thinker, you know, based on your input of this, basically learned loyalty, you know, and figured mm-hmm. out that Porter would, you know, work best, you know, Big Daddy Porter. Um uh, he was a Big really good, <laughs> really good pool player. Um, he would yeah. work, he would work best uh, with kind of a soothing and familiar voice. So the personality replication basically you know made it so that it was you guiding yourself. Mm-hmm. And and there's kind of a you know I don't know if it actually says this or how implied it was, but one of the things I was thinking about was that this whole time that uh, Porter is setting up the thinker to emulate his dead wife, like he's also just talking to it. Yes. So the idea that he's created an AI. Mm-hmm. you know that that learns um it's going to learn from both right you know and it, it did it you know picked up <laughs> you know the 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 wife and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment um but it also picked up him right you know and the, all of this you know this idea again and you see this in prey we, we see this in in uh in tacoma a lot mm-hmm. um but this idea that this this computer uh mind has picked up this humanity mm-hmm. you know from you like this this unending attempt like this is the good that came out of his attempt to bring back his wife, which you know he he'll admit here in a moment. We'll we'll talk about it. Was a misguided thing, mm-hmm. but it taught this computer a kind of loyalty and compassion. Yeah, it, through it, his loyalty it, and compassion, it, it it was misguided. You know what we are seeing now is an un, unintended side effect that you know again that you brought the humanity forward. It's 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 very good. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is, and there's no, there's no fights from here on it. This is a long, quiet sequence yeah. uh, here, you know, so we, you have the code uh, printed out and uh, Tenenbaum is able to take you to the surface uh, with the code and thinks like, Hey, we, we can cure you. Um, so you start walking your way back and she says more or less, she says, take your time, you know, say goodbye. Like after you've had this thing, like she knows that the players having a moment, mm-hmm. you know, here. Uh, so you start going through your private quarters again, kind of looking at souvenirs and looking at all these, you know, you have these pictures of you and your wife, kind of monuments to her life. Yes. Uh, there. Yeah. Um, I love Porter's office. First off, yeah. guy has just loads of taste. Um, mm-hmm. Also has the, the the first and only color TV that you see. Yeah. He invented <laughs> the color TV in Rapture. Yeah. So. <laughs> but the centerpiece here, you know, again, in this, in this, in this awesome office um, is the audio log of porter discovering kind of his folly right Mm -hmm. yeah um which is that it's working you know he's 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 talking to this simulacra version of his dead wife yeah um and he just can't handle it right you know he he has this uncanny that like this is actually extremely wrong he realizes it after a long series of yeses that would get him there yes um you know it's 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 not her it will never be her and even though I, even though it identifies as her, and when he says, you know, deactivate this, she kind of begs for her life a little bit. She internalizes and think, what did I do wrong? Why yeah. are you rejecting me? Like this is incredibly dense and gnarled with emotional weight and payoff. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it is a profoundly sad situation that the game has crafted in a way that does not feel contrived. Right. Like it, it laid all the tracks to have this very surreal, uh, kind of um, like Charlie Kaufman esque mm-hmm. uh, technology, you know, barely sci fi as to reflect on humanity, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing in an eternal sunshine kind of way that this feels like. Like you have to take a lot of sci fi liberties to get here, mm-hmm. but they did it. And then once you get here, you end up with a situation that uh, has real world parallels, but you couldn't. There isn't a one-to-one yeah. to it. So it's elevated yeah. in a way that just kind of like, you know, talking to your, you know, a picture of your dead wife and having the same emotions, that same kind of complicated feeling, like wouldn't quite articulate. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it makes a statement about grief, you know, a pretty yeah. powerful one. Like this, the, the one, I, when I said I cried before, like this, this hit me very hard. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Like it is, it is, uh, it's, it's a, a really intense kind of gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that he got what he wanted, but in reality, what he wanted was, you know, long gone. Yeah. Because, because Porter O'Dim gives you what you wish for, <laughs> not what you wanted. Right. The, um, no. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder if Steve, if Steve has played Heart of Stone. I, I, I bet you there, there's resonance mm-hmm. in that because the, uh, he's talked about, and like I said, I haven't got a chance to talk to him since I, since I played this and, and everything, but he's talked about, uh, on Twitter about how this game is explicitly about, him kind of doing thought experiments and and thinking about losing his wife, right? You know, um, and, and everything. And I bet you there are there are bits of that that would resonate with him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you pass, you know, again, uh, newspaper clippings, kind of the history of your yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in your marriage, you get into the bathosphere. Uh, we're at, at your docking station. Uh, Tenenbaum's there. You know, and you you get in. She's very welcoming, and the. Uh, you ascend and everything fades to white. Yes. Um, and you get this kind of epilogue, this, you know, monologue from Porter kind of explaining this, you know, he's gotten his voice back, you know, it was a success, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, kind of one of very few happy endings that you ever get in this series, right. Along with the good ending of Bioshock one, but you know, Tenem, you know, it, it all went off kind of without a hitch, you know, mm-hmm. and Porter talks about like, you know, I've, I've lived through hell. You know, like, but after everything I've been through, the scariest thing was, was letting go, was, you know, saying goodbye to Pearl, um, for real. Right. And now, well, he says, yeah, he, he, he says it and he, he goes and does it. Like there's a little scene, you know, because Tenenbaum is able to give him back, you know, undi D big daddy, his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it shows him at the grave, you know, of her, you get a little, little scene at some point. Mm-hmm. You, get to, you get to see him like actually paying respect. And and it, he's not just saying like the hardest thing was letting go. He's also apologizing. Yes. Like that when he goes to the grave, he's, he says, you know, it was wrong to do this to your memory. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's a thing, you know, that idea and, and that, you know, you, you know, you die, you die two deaths, um, you know, and he wasn't letting that second one happen. Right. As a thing. And it just, you know, it was, uh, there's no spiritual element to it. There's no, like, he wasn't using sci-fi to like capture her soul <laughs> or anything like that, but it was just wrong. You know, the only person he was really wronging was, was himself and disrespecting her memory. Right. You know, yeah. in a way that was not reflective of his actual feelings. Yeah. And the concept of, you know, the ghost or the afterlife, which is you live on in the memory of people around you. He was taking that, perverting it, holding it too close. Yes. And, you know, yeah. probably not fulfilling her wishes by going on and living his own full life, you know. Yeah, but now, yeah. and, of all the people who were down there, of, you know, <laughs> and in light of all the crazy, remarkable stuff that has happened, he actually has a second chance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really hopeful ending, yeah. you know, after swerving towards, you know, tragedy, which is a Fulbright thing. Right. Right. Like that, that's kind of what they, they do. And one of the things that uh, I love about this game and that I love about that studio is that I do feel like, you know, that, that interest and appreciation and kind of, uh, love for the decent, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, for the people who in this world are, who are exceptional and who are just kind of fundamentally good mm-hmm. as being equally interesting and worth talking about, right? you know, and they're always flawed, you know, we don't get any, you know, uh, kind, but honest, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, style, simple protagonists, like they're always flawed and complicated, but you know, one of the things I think about with the, the studio, and I, I talked about it when I when I first replayed this, 
Um, and I thought about it a lot with Tacoma, which I don't want to do a, a lot of spoilers for, but like Tacoma is very much a Fulbright game. Mm-hmm. Um, Fulbright got, or Tacoma got some knocks for being as optimistic as it was, right? Like the, the criticisms I've seen of that game have been with it being bloodless. You know, it, it doesn't go far enough. It's a little, maybe, you know, people have said that it's kind of naive or anything like that. And I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that the the thing with that game and with this and with Gone Home that is special is that kind of hope. Yeah. That is intrinsic. You know, if there are people this good, you know, if, if there are decent people, like maybe actually things will be okay. Mm-hmm. Like decent people trying their best actually gives us a shot, you know, at making it. And they end up being kind of like some of the most, you know, just like fundamentally heartening games that I think anyone is making. Incredibly humane. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, exactly, and, and not not in just like a you know like like a soft touchy feely sense, but well, and very expo- few animals exploring. were harmed during the making of Tacoma. <laughs> but you know what I like, mean? They, like, they like, said like, there like... were some, but like not that many. <laughs> a possum that garlic herb stomped on the way out, but like <laughs> you know after they finished a celebratory like breaking a, sh- a bottle over the bow of a ship. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 broke, they, they broke bitey, bitey. But you know what I mean? Humane in the sense that it is very, it it is a very thoughtful exploration of an aspect of humanity, right? Yes. And it's very easy to create drama by kind of playing in the charnel house, right? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, appreciate that a lot of the time when it happens, you know, yeah. with the, 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 the show. And I think this network is, you know, rife with examples of that working for us, right? Uh, the rarity of this, though, I think heightens it even more. And the idea that, you know, Tacoma or any of these games really being bloodless is a knock against it. I think that that that, that, that doesn't ring true for me because that implies that there are no stakes to what it, you know, yes. to, to, to what is going on. And it kind of implies that without a payoff, you know, with with that without the without the money shot of you know kind of like going into the direction that it is that is painted at least a little bit ignores the value of establishing that there is a valley that there is you know a way that all of this could go wrong and what's on the other side of that last door is corpses right mm-hmm. you know and i think that what to, <laughs> what tacoma what uh what fulbright ends up doing and has done here is like fainting toward that asymptote Right, fainting to like this is where it heads to infinity in the way that you expect, but by actually averting it, heightens it. It makes you feel both feel the extreme of both of those, you know, in the relief, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting explaining or exploring kind of the whole continuum. Yeah, there. It's it's also worth like noting that because uh, you, you talk about it, it being easy to do a payoff in the Carnal House, like uh, Charnel House. And the Carnal House. I thought they closed <laughs> that place down. Yeah, yeah, but the, but the, yeah, the Charnel House. Uh, is that, you know, you mentioned this, but, like, I just want to reiterate, um, I love the Charnel House. Oh, me too. Like, like I said, the there, network there, is full of it. <laughs> there, there's, like, there's, um you know, an idea whenever anybody praises, and this came out a lot during, like, Gamergate times, you uh-huh. know, because women didn't have that kind of, kind of job during, you know, but, like, uh, Gamergate times, during Gamergate times, um, and still now. Like, I'm right, not trying right. to say it's not gone part, away. Right? It's not gone away. Um, but there was a big argument, one of the arguments against, like, Gone Home getting a bunch of awards, and that attitude was that, like, this is going to take away, you know, these traditionally kind of dark or violent games that across uh, that the board, it would lead to a softening. Yes. Across. And, and when people talk about, uh, this game or, uh, you know, Tacoma or, or gone home being bloodless or being, um, you know, not having enough of that, like it only fun, like it's not going to 
be a universal softening because the reason one of the reasons why this is so impactful is because <laughs> it's in the context of games. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like if, if, they're, if you're doing something like um, one of the way, you know, the, the idea of like, why is Gone Home a game? You know, or is it a game? And this this isn't about Murder of Zen, but a lot of it extends, right? Like, mm-hmm. Murder of Zen is definitely a game. You fight a bunch of monsters. Right, right. But, but imagine, you know, just the story stuff. When when someone says, like, why is this game and not, like, a novel or something like that, uh, there's lots of reasons. Like, that interactivity in a game like that does make a difference. Mm-hmm. But also, the context of it just being a game makes what it does a little bit more remarkable. Right. And that humanity of, of being here, like, it just – the idea that they were getting that right so early on, mm-hmm. you know, in 2010 uh, – is just kind of astounding. Yeah. You know, that idea that like you can have something not end up swerving into the dark, that having this like very strong spot of humanity, being very hopeful um, about things and being very decent, like being about people being fundamentally good, you know, and, and being able to move on and being capable of change uh, this early on is really incredible. Right. And I just love that they've carried that through and I don't want to see it go away. Like if they, you know, whatever their next game is after Tacoma, if the, you know, if it does follow this kind of, swir- you know, genre swerve towards darkness, you know, genre, then swerve towards darkness, then land on hope mm-hmm. as a thing like that. There, there's room to criticize them for sticking to a formula. Right. I don't think it's a good criticism that they did it at all because it's right. such a good formula. To, to, and seeing it, you seeing the origins is just really heartening. To dismiss it as valueless that, you know, it's just an appeal to novelty. Like, OK, that might be that might be true. Right. Like this is notable because very few people are doing it. That also completely ignores the point that this was worth doing at all. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they're, they're two separate things. Like if you're saying like it is just, oh, it's just novel, like it does get a lot from being novel, but that's fine and good. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, it's also a really good example. Yeah. You know, of the thing that it is. So, and it's just, it's just very, it was just like, you know, I just had a smile like the whole time playing this, like noticing these things because mm-hmm. I didn't the first time I'd played. Like I played this before gone home came out and before i knew who any of these people were Mm -hmm. uh you know as as developers um and seeing it through those eyes was really fun so even if you have played this before and i recommend everybody who is a a fulbright fan like go back and and check it out uh with with that in mind Mm -hmm. like this through through that lens is fascinating yes i think um yeah and it's a really good you know articulation of it like the stakes are a little bit higher it's a little bit more Mm sci-fi than stuff they would do later for the most part even you know more so than than tacoma right which is like a a more simplified version of this idea in a lot of ways details are more complicated but it is the uh the actual thing that happens is slightly you know less complicated because it's not tied to this bioshock thing like it's it's unfettered yes yeah yeah so um yeah i really love it i think it's great it's great. I mean, you know, like, uh-huh. like both of these and then also the game we're talking about next week end up being things that I'm incredibly grateful to, you know, to look at for different reasons. Right. Yes. But this especially, you know, speaks to something that, again, you and I really value in stories. And, I, you know, I feel a little bit ashamed that I hadn't dived into before. Yeah. A rare thing. Mm-hmm. Like this game, this game feels rare. This is a rare game. Um, You know, it's not it's not like Minerva's Den, you know, colon. Battle of the Toads. It's not a rare thing in that way, but like it is a, a rare thing in the other better way. Yes. Um, yeah. And I was really happy to have played it. And I'm looking forward to uh, what we're doing next, which is uh, Altima Underworld. Oh, Altima? Altima. 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 Yeah. Ultima Altima Underworld, the Stygian Abyss. Yes. Oh, the Stygian Abyss. Is that what it is? <laughs> the uh, 
<laughs> they, they say it's Stygian, which really upsets me. Yeah, well, you said it with an E, though. You said Stygian. Stygian, yeah. Yeah, Stead. You said E. Oh. You said, you said soft E. I was just making fun of you because you were making fun of my pronunciation. Oh, okay, cool. And then you well, you, you immediately turned around and mispronounced something. So the, uh, <laughs> I did. That, that, is, that is why I'm making fun of you. But we can both agree that Stygian is not a thing. Yeah, yeah as long as Sty- Stygian is the enemy. <laughs> the, the Stygian uh, Bagginses are the ones that we don't like. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so we're not going to say Stygian for sure. No. We're going to say Stygian. Yes. Like, um, like Americans. <laughs> but yes, that is the, uh, that, that, that is the final episode of this month, or the final game of this month. Uh, we're going to be joined by Patreon backer Justin Gutt. Very mm-hmm. excited uh, to dive into that game. I would encourage people who might be um, kind of scared of it for how archaic it is uh, to give it a shot because it's more modern than you think. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I've uh, only dug in a little bit and I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing more. Yeah, um, I yeah. believe when this comes out um, on the early release feed, you will have a little bit of time to, uh, to, to to respond, even on the main feed. Again, the 15th of every month is when we when you need to get your uh, responses in uh mm-hmm. for uh, the the episodes so if you have things to say about bioshock 2 minerva's den or ultimate underworld please write in by the 15th yes yeah uh next month during may uh we are doing uh a few games i'm very excited about as well yes uh we're doing uh call of juarez gunslinger gunslinger yeah, not regular. <laughs> um, the uh, so really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. We are um, doing the uh, the winner of our kind of remakes and reboots poll. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't hasn't ended yet, so I'm uncomfortable saying what it will be. But all of those, yep. any of them, if they won, if, if if Mega Man makes a come from behind, I'll be happy about that too. Yeah, any of the all of them seem cool. Yeah, uh, those options are Mega Man powered up, um, Zero Mission, Metroid Zero Mission, yeah, Metroid Zero Mission um wolfen the new wolfenstein wolfenstein, wolfenstein the, new the order, order. yep, yep. Silent uh, Hill shattered memories yep and doom 2016 yes so um, uh which of those reboots do you want to see us do yeah after that we are covering bayonetta indeed i'm really excited about that um i've only dipped my toe in that game i've never actually like played played it mm-hmm. so i'm very excited because i like i like those games quite a bit yep. i like that studio quite a bit yeah mm-hmm and after that, we're doing our special, like our topics episode for the year, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a sequel to our arcade episode. Um, in the arcade episode, we talked about the experience of arcade and talked about a couple individual games. Uh, but now we are going to go and uh, go to our respective arcades, talk about the experience, you know, talk about, you know, how probably a little bit of like how those are laid out and what the how the experience of an arcade has changed, mm-hmm. you know, through the year where it, now it has become a hip drinking thing <laughs> as opposed to a, a teenager truancy thing. And uh, and play through each of us play through three different arcade games to completion or as close to completion as as warrants mm-hmm. um, a variety of types and kind of tell each other about them. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we'll probably uh, I will try to well before we record that, uh, try to get that done so we can talk about what games they are in advance. Yes, that's probably I'm... a good thing. I need to go into a scouting mission. I, I was actually going to discuss that with you off offline however yes i am going to go down uh, i'm gonna go down to maybe the two nearest arcades to me see what's there uh grab my likely candidates share a list with you and then we can uh, decide that way there is no appreciable overlap yeah we we both don't just do big buck hunter big buck hunter 2000 (laughs) and big buck hunter zombie apocalypse (laughs) for for all three of ours i like Um, i like both kinds of music yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly buck and hunter buck yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so yes, uh, May is shaping up to be an amazing month. Uh, very excited mm-hmm. for that. Uh, if you're listening and you're in the Midwest, you have a little bit of time still to come see us at the Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, go to MidwestGamingClassic.com. That is in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. We're going to be there talking about the Donkey Kong game for, for Game Boy from 1994. Yeah, a.k.a. Donkey Kong 94. Yeah, really excited about that. Also, just uh, and this is just I'm just looking at the planning sheet uh, for every week in July. We got episode 200 coming up. Yeah, uh, you're fooling yourself. if You don't think that's something special. <laughs> we we already uh, I've already started playing and we've started talking about uh, what that's going to be. Ooh, and so that's excited. yeah, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, um, it's a weird one, mm-hmm. but it's going to be really fun. Um, so we have lots of cool things planned. If you head on over to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, that is how uh, Justin is able to guest on an episode. Uh, that is how people are able to dictate uh, episodes, theme months, and sometimes guest right. on the show. Uh, it's also how you get into our Slack, which is a, an amazing community, um, very active, uh, you know, tons of conversations happening on the reg. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how you get a bunch of just other kind of rewards. Yes. So it, it is a recommended uh, click. Mm-hmm. We've gotten some very nice reviews on Apple Podcasts here recently. Uh, we'd love to keep mm-hmm. that going. Uh, that is a great way to raise the visibility of the show, um, not through the God algorithm that Reed is going after, but just through whatever black magic happens there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really th- and uh, telling your friends about it. Like every time we see it in message boards and stuff like that, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, you know. Hey, hey Gary, you stream, don't you? Uh, from time to time, I do. Uh, on most Fridays at three p.m. PST, uh, I do a show called Choose Your Illusion Two which is reading uh, game books and choose your own adventures mm-hmm. uh, for things. And it's a, uh, I just did uh, the second TSR in the nineties made these things called terror tracks, <laughs> yeah. which are choose your own adventure CDs. Um, the first one I did, which was the werewolf one was real fun and is about an hour and 10 minutes long. So I tried to do the vampire one and died uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe 18 minutes in uh, <laughs> and it's really poorly designed and dumb, oh, <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of funny. And then, some some good choose your own adventures happen after that, but mm-hmm. um, I've done some neat stuff on there, and those are all archived as well. Yes, uh, on our YouTube channel. Yep, YouTube.com/slash/DuckFeedTV. During the weekends, I play horror games. Uh, weekend nights, Eastern time, and then during the week, I play JRPGs. So I just recently finished up uh, Breath of Fire three. Uh, you can actually see the condensed version of the, of those. I do hyper edited ones, about an hour long. Uh, so you just get the story and the boss fights and stuff. Uh, my next game is going to be Final Fantasy VIII. So ooh. Yeah. Um, very cool. The, um, yeah, and I think that's about it. We didn't um, say the URL for that. That's twitch.tv slash. Oh, yeah. TV. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Indeed. And the YouTube channel is, is definitely TV mm-hmm. as well for the archived versions in places as Jello says. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that that's about it. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for, uh, for doing any of those things we mentioned mm-hmm. and we'll see you guys next week, uh, with Ultima underworld. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, what should they watch out for? Watch out for grief. It will yeah. touch all of us in our lives and how we handle it in some ways defines us. You get wife harm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Oh boy. Um, oh, I, I made a, I didn't make coffee. I, I at the gas station by my house. Sometimes they have those those insane deals. Okay. And had a coupon, so they had the cold, like the Starbucks black cold brew mm-hmm. uh, cups. Oh yeah. And, and uh, or uh, bottles for cheap. So I bought a couple of those. Um, and uh, because I wasn't, you know. Today, I, I was expecting a late night last night. It didn't really happen, but I still ended up sleeping in because I've mm-hmm. been sick. Um, and uh, I got one, and I, I have a creamer, like a coffee creamer, and it says it doesn't expire. I don't remember when I got it, but it also says it doesn't re- expire until May, and it like, smells pretty good. But oh, it but has it, a longer but... expiration date than every other creamer I've ever had. Is it like shelf-stable like mm. couplets? Or is no, it no, a... no, no, no. It's just, it's just creamer. It's like a... It's like a like a, a real minor needful thing, <laughs> you know, like it's like, like I couldn't ask for a creamer that never went bad. I just went for yeah. one that like, and it still smells fine. I put it in my coffee uh-huh. and like tastes fine, but I'm still paranoid about it. Yeah. Is it, uh, it just seems unnaturally long lived. Do you normally get the ultra pasteurized? Cause I like, I get ultra pasteurized and the, the expiration date is always like two months out from when I buy it. That's kind of, I, I didn't think so because I usually end up buying it from, um, from whole foods cause it's close. Right. But I'll have to look at it again. That's possible. Yeah. And the, the designs are, 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 yeah, that's, that's, that's likely the answer to this mystery is I accidentally got, I mean, I don't do it. I don't never really pay attention to it. It's not a, uh, <laughs> right. I don't have a philosophy on how pasteurized I want my creamer to be. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, it just kind of worked out as yeah. such. Huh. Well, I mean, as long as it's not like curdling and floating at the top, I think you're fine. Yeah. And that's one of the, like, I'm, that's, I'm, that's part of the reason too, is I'm just drinking this out of a coffee cup. Yeah. It's opaque now because, you know, I put some creamer in it. I just hope that it's not just be like a, a whole mess of solids down at the bottom. Uh, oh, no. So, yeah. That's you, just you saying that would make me transfer it to another cup. Do like do do a pour yeah, off do, just do to see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pour it through a colander. <laughs> pour, pour it through a cheesecloth to, <laughs> to check. As one should do for all their coffee, all oh, their yeah. beverages. <laughs> all beverages your... must be cheesecloth. Yes. I, I, I prefer clarified creamer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 